And so this is God's holy and inerrant word starting in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For though through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Renewal. Um, if you haven't met me, my name is David Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Renewal Mainline. And it's my privilege and honor to stand here to preach to you this morning. Uh, before I uh, start my message, I'd like to take this moment to remind all of us uh, a very special event coming up next week, as you may know. Uh, we have our dear brother, Pastor Nick's ordination service next week. And it's indeed a significant milestone in not only his journey but for our church too for myself too i remember our time and um when he was sitting in my youth group bible study uh, i was his youth group teacher at emmanuel so this is this is huge um we believe that your presence your prayers and your encouragement would mean a great deal to us uh, so and also lunch will be provided after service so please mark your calendars and join us in this uh, joyous celebration of faith and dedication Let's come together as a community to uh, show our support and love for Nick uh, in his journey of faith. Um, before we start, uh, let me close. Uh, let me open us up in prayer. We're not done. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for who you are, what you've done. You've brought us here mercifully. And Lord, we are here to worship you. We're here to be your people. We are here to be fed. And Lord, we're here to worship you and lift your name up. So Lord, would you enable us in our hearts and our minds, our souls, to really lift your name up, hearing you, hearing about, and seeing what Christ has done for us and how, he, and how you really enable us to live the life that you've given us. So Lord, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, for the past few weeks, uh, we went over our vision series, seeing how, in what ways we are a gospel-centered community in worship, in local context, and globally, and also how that spread starts here and now. So for today's passage, 
um, I would like to bring us a, the sentiment of what that looks like in our lives. Let me ask you this question. Do you know what it feels like to be a foreigner? Uh, have you ever been away from home? Uh, feeling like a foreigner happens when uh, you, you are away from somewhere that you call home, you consider home. Home is where uh, you feel safe, you feel comfortable, you feel content. I personally know very well what it feels like uh, to feel like a foreigner. Uh, I grew up in South Korea, and uh, my family immigrated to the Uni United States when I was in uh, high school. Uh, I remember my first English conversation I had uh, with this uh, classmate that made me feel like a foreigner. It was my first day of American high school. Uh, this boy was sitting next to me, and he kept attempting to talk to me, uh, of course, in English, uh, which language uh, is something that I don't speak. That was actually the whole thing there is a culture shock, not because of its English, but the fact that he was talking to me. Because I remember in my school experience in Korea, uh, you, you don't get to welcome a new student. You get to just stare at them, if best. Um, not friendly. Uh, I don't know how it is now in Korea, but back then, uh, that was not what you did. Uh, so this hyper-friendly, welcoming atmosphere was already a culture shock. That was nice. But what wasn't nice was that I, don't I didn't understand what he said. He kept trying to uh, attempt conversation, didn't work, because I kept saying, oh, I don't know. Uh, I, but I didn't, see what, I didn't say I don't understand because that was too long. So I heard, I don't know. Here was the problem back then. I actually didn't realize that that was the problem. But I didn't know why he wouldn't stop asking me questions. Retrospectively only, I realized that. He was confused because I worked hard on getting rid of my Asian accent. So all I said was, I don't know, to every question that he said. Not like, oh, I don't know. He, I should have said, I don't know. And to him, he was like, why wouldn't you know of, of all these questions? To me, I was like, why do you keep talking to me? So, um, yeah, it was a traumatic scene that I still remember. My, both of my sisters just mouthing, girl, like that mouth to my face. Both of my sisters spoke English. They were, they were born and raised in America. My m father uh, majored in English in Korea. All of them spoke English. So uh, they were saying, oh, you got to get rid of that accent. So don't say girl, I said girl. And then it was very difficult. So I really worked hard. So it was my moment. I said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And this guy said, what are you? Um, finally, he kept, uh, he asked me this question. What is your favorite sport? Uh, that, I said to myself, I know this question. I saw that in my textbook. That sport, oh. So I, I said it in full sentence. My favorite sport is ping pong. And he laughed to my face. <laughs> he said, that's not a sport. I was offended. What do you mean? That, that is a, it's a prestigious sport in Asia, Far East Asia, a serious business, a form of art and martial art physics together. You got to put precision and speed and power to that serve. He doesn't get it. But all this guy was trying to do was really give me uh, some small talk, make me feel welcome, but it did the opposite. Uh, that was the first time I really felt like I was away from home. I didn't feel welcome. I felt like a foreigner, an alien. 
Unfortunately, you don't have to be an immigrant like me to know what that feels like, to be a foreigner, to not feel at home, even if you speak the language, even if you grew up your whole life in one place, anything that could make you feel not at home, not safe, not welcome. Plenty of opportunities to encounter new circumstances, new classroom, new job, new church, even new shopping mall will make you feel like a foreigner. Today's passage dives deep into the bottom of such experience. Paul tells us that there is actually a reason why we feel this way all the time. I'd like to bring you three things that today's passage tells us. First, that we were not at home. Second, then we are brought now to home. Third is what to do in that home. First, we were not at home, meaning we were all foreigners once. But second, we are now given a home. Third, now that we're at home, what do we do there? Let's dive in. First, um, who is Paul talking to here? The original audience of Paul's letter to the Ephesians was the Christian community in the city of Ephesus, uh, there in, in the Roman province. The church in Ephesus was likely founded by Paul during his third missionary journey, as we read in Acts 19. And the believers there were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles who had recently converted. And Paul's letter reflects such diversity. So there was this divide, ethical, cultural divide between the recent converts. And Paul saw that. Paul emphasizes the importance of the unity of the church. The Gentiles were uh, labeled as foreigners, Gentiles. The tension was real. The divide was real. To such divisive reality at church, Paul brings this heavenly reality. In verse 12, he says, you think only this group of people were foreigners. No way. Paul actually says, you are, we are all foreigners. Once we were all foreigners. He says here, remember that you were at that time, separated from Christ, alienated. You were all strangers to the covenant of promise. Here he uses the word strangers. The word is in Greek, xenos. When you hear the word xenophobia, that same word, the ethnical minority. Foreign land, strangers in a foreign land. The word aliens is used here. Peroikos, it's a residential aliens in this, uh, who are not citizens of such country. Paul's bringing here uh, this identity that humanity inev inevitably shares all together in being who we are, an ontological identity that unites all of us, that we were all once foreigners. And that actually is united by how we are all sharing the impact and effect of sin. Not your ethical divide, not your uh, cultural identity, not your experiential identity. Actually, there's the one deeper. You are all. We are all sinners. What, what, what really made that happen? In verse 1, he actually says, you were all dead in the trespasses and sins. We were all united in that identity, identity of being dead before being Gentiles, before being Jews, Asians. You were all dead. We were all dead. What made us dead? Because this label invited all of us here that we were all, all once cut off 
from where we were supposed to be. In and through our first father, Adam's first sin, we participated in that death. Ever since the moment of all of our birth, we were strangers to God's goodness. How, how does being a sinner make you an alien? How does Paul say that? He is saying that we were foreigners far from home, implying that we once had a home. We had home. The hometown of humanity was where creation started, Genesis 1 and 2. It tells us the creation account where we were made without sin, the Garden of Eden. That was our home. That was where we were meant to be. That was what we were meant to do, humanity. We were supposed to be good, righteous, bearing God's image, enjoying his creation. But tragedy happened. We were kicked out of our home in Genesis 3. That's reiterated in Ephesians 2.12 right there, that we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We became strangers to the covenants of promise. And because of that, we had, he says, no hope. We were, he says, without God in the world. That means you don't have to be a Korean immigrant to feel and experience such a way. Feeling lonely, feeling uncomfortable, feeling like you don't belong. That's a reality to us because we don't belong here. Because we were supposed to be somewhere else with God, to dwell with God. You remember the first day of school uh, and you, how that made you feel like a stranger. That, that, that was a reflection of our deeper reality as humanity. What about when it wasn't your first day of school and you still feel like that? You know that feeling. And to wonder, I don't feel at home. Sin brings that to us. Sin brings us such universal experience, not feel welcome, not feel comfortable, feel unsafe. Wherever there is sin, we will not feel at home. In the presence of sin, nowhere can be called the ultimate home that could bring a permanent security, joy, or acceptance. We were made to fulfill that safety, that safe haven only in God, by God, but as our idolatrous hearts go, we desperately look for other things, other places, other people to feel accepted and to find home. Perhaps um, Solomon's testimony speaks loudly as a man who literally had everything. His confession was vanity and vanity. Nothing works. Nothing fulfills. Nothing ultimately satisfies us. Everything fails us because of sin. Because of that, we are alienated from the goodness of God. So what allows Paul to tell us in verse 19? He gives, he gives such hopeful message. He says that we are no longer aliens and strangers. Let me read verse 19. That's the second point. We are now at home. Let me read verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How can he say that? This is the loud beauty of the message of Ephesians. Ever since chapter 1, it provides us with this beautiful message of God's plan for us even before the foundation of the world to adopt us. Chapter 2 talks about just 
how that happens through his mercy, how God brings such promised salvation to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 is the beautiful intervening message of the gospel. He says, but God. It says, but God. When we were dead, when we were hopeless, when we were sinners, but God, Paul says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Praise the Lord for the salvation our Lord Jesus Christ brings. Verse 13 and 14 bring further description of how Christ brought such salvation and peace to us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By his coming, by his living in this, wor or this world, by the death, by the resurrection, we are now reunited to our Father in heaven. He did that. We were once homeless eternally, but he became homeless on behalf of us so that we could not be homeless anymore. That's Matthew 8.20. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He did that voluntarily on our behalf so that we no longer have to do that. That's what Jesus did. He shed his blood, and he became our peace. He broke that wall down. In verse 18, Jesus gives us something. What does he give through doing so? He says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He gave us access. Today's passage is that implication of such work of Christ. Because Christ gave us access to the Father, verse 19, so that you are no longer strangers, but you are fellow citizens, members of the household of God. You are, we are now fellow citizens and members of the household of where? God. Household of God. What does it mean to be a citizen? Do you guys know what it means to be a citizen? Do you know what it means to be a U.S. citizen? U.S. privileges, um, you could do a lot of stuff. You have a lot of protection. You have a lot of provisions. The original audience of this text also knew this. Where when they heard Peter, uh, Paul say citizens, having a citizenship in the ancient world meant a lot. The rights as well as protection. But that is what we have in Christ. We share such heavenly right, heavenly protection as citizens. So when Paul describes our current heavenly status as being citizens, that's a promise. It's an assurance of all the benefits that entail. Paul doesn't stop here at the analogy of citizenship. He says that we are members of God's household. Not just citizen, but family. Not only a citizen, but a king's family. Let me tell you a story that you might not believe. Some might have heard this story from me, Uh, but let me tell you an unbelievable story. It's about my best friend. My new life, I told you about, in America was very tough. It was hard to make friends with this foreign language, foreign culture, foreign people. There was another Korean immigrant boy right next to me. His name was also David. I'm not making this up. His name was David. We spoke the language. We spoke the same culture. 
We spoke the same values. So we became best friends, and necessarily so. The only difference I had against him was he didn't have a U.S. citizenship while I did. Uh, if you didn't know, uh, the, there's a s surprise part of the story. I am a U.S. citizen uh, because I was born in America. I was born in Lansdale. Uh, but when I was two, I went to Korea. My family immigrated back to Korea. So all I had that was American was that blue passport that says David Kim. I couldn't even pronounce that word David. It was a, uh, yeah. Um, so my family immigrated back to Korea, um, and we came back. So I didn't have that American culture, yet I had that citizenship. My friend, also in that same experience, only that he didn't have that citizenship. Every opportunity that he would get, he would sit me down and lecture me and preach to me what privileges I had that he didn't get. And I didn't know before that, but he really told me uh, about the privileges of my citizenship. The insurance was different. Uh, tuition was different. Legal system applied differently. It seemed like we lived in a different world. It, it felt like we were in the same place, but in a different dimension. It was different. So ready for that unbelievable story? That wasn't about my citizenship. There it is, I haven't told you yet. Unbelievable story, here it comes. My friend called me one day and told me that he now has a U.S. citizenship. He told me uh, that weird story. He came really good friends with uh, now President Joe Biden. Apparently, he was involved with something that helped Joe Biden big time, and that led him to become really close to him. So recently, uh, the president adopted my friend to be his son. So legally, he became U.S. citizenship, a U.S. citizen. Can you believe that story? You shouldn't believe that story because it didn't happen. <laughs> I lied. My friend was never an American. He never met Joe Biden. Uh, he's living a happy life in Korea as a Korean citizen. But wouldn't that be a crazy story? <laughs> wouldn't it be an amazing illustration of this um, gospel to give him a citizenship like that? But here's a crazier story that is harder to believe, that is actually real. This actually happened, according to Apostle Paul. He is telling us that this story actually happened only infinitely better because there is somebody infinitely better than President Joe Biden has adopted all of us. He did adopt us. The sovereign, almighty creator of the universe adopted you and me into his household to be loved by him, to be protected by him, to dine with him on the same table. And do you know what's also infinitely better about this story? Is that this didn't happen because of our own works. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything to merit this adoption. Someone else did. Someone else did something else. Galatians 4, 4-7 tells us who does this. God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Christ enabled us to call our Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. We are no longer eternally homeless. We now have a home, a citizenship, 
and not just a citizenship. We now have the right to call God our Father. We now have the privilege of residing in his household. That gives us the rights as his heirs. It gives us an eternal protection and provision. Up to this point, we've been talking about the privileges and the good stuff. And more to come, surely. But we will be tempted to this point, thinking about that we now have a home. We now have been freely adopted as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Now we could enjoy. Now we could rest. Now vacation forever. We now have this vacation home. That would be the wrong analogy to this gospel message. Because this home actually has an inheritance. It also has plans for us. It has plans for us. That's the third point. What do we do then in this home? Let me read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, this is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. A change of metaphors uh, he, here might bring uh, uh, feel abrupt in our eyes from family to building, but this is a beautiful development of Paul's thought because uh, Greek word here for household, uh, that actually literally can be taken as the house ones, house people. So although it is not talking about physical house, but people is this building terminology continues with Paul because we heard that word is in back of our heads. So he's bringing, actually, it is like home. He says there are building terms found throughout Ephesians 20 to 22. He says built, this is building. We are being built together. We are dwelling in this place. So this audience is naturally drawn in their imagery of this scene with the picture of a house. If you were homeless for a long time, if you were wandering around for a long time without a home, without safety, without that comfort, feeling afraid, now you're being invited to this house by Paul, what would you feel? The first question, what would that first question would be? The question should be, can I trust this place? Is this safe? That's like Paul's uh, uh, in, uh, invitation to us. He's inviting to his, our new house, and he's showing us around, and there the first place he takes us is actually the basement, and there lies a huge blueprint of this mansion. And then he tells us just how safe how sturdy this house is. He says in verse 20 that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's like the prophets and apostles are coming together as builders working around this building block, the building block of cornerstone. The apostles who are starting members of Jesus Christ, Jesus' followers. Then what about the prophets? Second Peter chapter 1 explains that, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says prophets, we're hearing God's word. This is being built by God's word. Inerrant, infallible word of God is the foundation of this building, this dwelling place that we are invited to, and the center of lies a cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Many of you know what a cornerstone is, but if you don't, that's the foundation of a building that holds everything together. It's not a stone, actually. It's a huge boulder, bigger than a boulder. It's described as, they call it, the stone set in the foundation at the corner to bind all together and to give walls their line. 
just to provide an accurate imagery of what a cornerstone actually is, because I don't know many of architects here. Um, there's a famous cornerstone of the Wall of Jerusalem still to this day called the Western Stone. It's one of the largest building blocks in the world. Its exposed face can be measured 44.5 feet long, 11 feet high, and the width approximately 8 feet, weighing 300 tons. That's a big rock. That's a cornerstone. And that's the imagery that the, the, the audience gets. Cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And he's saying that in Matthew 21, where he says, how safe is this house? It's built on me. Paul says, Jesus Christ is the foundation. Working around God's word. Building, holding our world. Just like how in Hebrews 1, he describes Christ holding the whole world together by the word of his power. So let me ask you, where is your hope? Where is your hope founded on? Where do you find rest? Where do you find hope and peace? Why don't you go ahead and revisit your home? And hopefully you understand that I'm not talking about our physical home. Uh, go close your eyes, really revisit where you're resting on. Where is it founded on? If you dig deeper into the root of your thoughts and desires and values, where do you find rest? Do you ever find yourself feeling restless? tired or scared let's check where we're standing why do we feel shaky have we ever tried to stand firm on that ever so fragile sandcastle wondering why this is so wobbly why am i feeling so shaky all the time have you tried to stand on wealth seeing that number on your savings account go up while not finding that sense of peace or satisfaction you thought you'd get? Have you achieved an highest degree that you were working for, thinking that that would provide you such satisfaction, such foundation, only to find yourself not at peace? Could it have been a, on a person? You finally met someone, thinking that now your life will be happily ever after, only to find yourself arguing over the smallest things? I'm kind of glad my wife is serving in childcare right now. I'm not saying our marriage is not great. It's working out well by the grace of God. But I don't, we don't rest in each other. We don't find each other as the ultimate source of hope, ultimate source of safety. It's the Lord himself, Christ himself. Walk downstairs with Paul. And please see how firm a foundation our Lord Jesus Christ is, how strong his word is. That's one thing to do. What to do at this home? To feel safe, to feel at rest. You know that you're taken care of. But second point is that this isn't just a house. You have to understand, once you're in, you have to realize that this isn't a summer vacation home. What is wonderful about how Paul shows us around here, he doesn't stop here at that invitation and says, look how safe it is, so go rest. He doesn't say that. He says, look how safe it is, and here's our plan ahead. He says in Paul, he says in verse 21, in Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Paul says here that we will be joined together. We will be growing into something. 
this picture of growth is not unique in this passage because we see God's church being often compared to a body, the body of Christ. Paul's intentionally shifting to that analogy to tell us that this house that we're invited to, it's not just for you and me to take a break. Yes, it provides rest. It provides safety. But it has a purpose. It is to grow. It's not a vacation home. It's a growing body. It's a growing and moving battleship. That's a two different image. This growth, this movement has twofold, corporate and individual. Yes, we are supposed to grow together as one and church globally too. At the same time, as members of that church, you are supposed to grow. You and I individually are supposed to grow in Christ. Corporately, God is allowing us to be a church, a healthy, ongoing scene of growth uh, of us as God's body. It's a blessing to see that in renewal, to take part in such growth. I mean, the youth group is doubling in its size this coming fall, and that's good. That's good thing. Verse 22, and he says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There is an individual aspect of this. You and I, as individuals, are growing into his image more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. But here's an important thing about this growth. Since body analogy was used, it's actually appropriate to think about how body grows in a healthy manner. How do you measure the growth of a person? Even if you're not a parent, you know that just by weight gain is not the only component of your child's growth, right? Because uh, if so, then something uh, healthy is happening to me when I'm gaining my weight. But we all know that there's more to it. Weight gain is not all. The growth of joints, motor skills, height, etc. That's not, and, and, and that's just physical growth. There's growth in intellect, emotional skills, social skills, most importantly, in faith. That growth needs to happen in you, in your family, in your church, in all of us. We need to be growing. Are we growing? Once again, not in weight. Not just in weight gain might be crucial for some. Not me. But some, some people need weight loss. Why? Not because of weight, but not, by, not because of our sheer number of our church, but by the quality. Are we growing? Are we growing in worship? Are we growing in outreach? Are we growing in discipleship? Our missions? Are we growing in discipline? Are we growing? And I'm not just talking about renewal mainline. I'm talking about your home. Is worship growing at home? Is discipline growing at home? What about individually? Are you reaping fruit of the Holy Spirit? Are you becoming more patient? We got to grow. That's a calling for us. We're being called to grow. And another thing that actually comforts us about this plan is that not yet part that not yet part is really empowering. We have a long way to go, is what Paul says. Yes, you're in, but don't worry, we have a long way to go. That's actually an encouragement because it says we still got more work to do. Praise the Lord. Isn't it great that this 
what we're hearing about this grand plan of growth, we're hearing it only once you're in the house. It wasn't sitting outside of the house, and Paul wasn't telling us, look, once you reach this height, this growth, you can enter this home. No, you were entering into the home without your quality, your qualifications, your merit. Nothing brought you home besides the blood of Christ. Not a condition, but what comes after our citizenship, the inheritance, the duty, and our life goal. So let me conclude with giving thanks to God. I thank God for providing us a home. I thank God for all of us here who were once all strangers and aliens to this world, to all of us eternally homeless souls, God sent us his own son so that we are no longer aliens, but now we have home, his home, our father's home. If you have yet to accept your citizenship, accept Jesus Christ as your, your Lord and Savior, today would you receive such invitation? Would you repent and take him into your heart? Would you actually accept him as your Lord? He is calling you this morning. And with all of us here, would you come and see how secure this house is, how powerfully safe and firm our foundation is, founded on his own word, and how we are to continue to grow as perfect and imperfect members of the household. So let me end with Paul's encouragement. He later says in chapter 3, this is how he ends, and I would like to end it here. He says, I'll bow, I bow my knees before the Father, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you will be rooted and grounded in love, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You as an individual at home, in your church, in your neighborhood, everywhere, anywhere God calls you to be, his children, let us stand firm. Let us stand firm, safely, and peaceably in Christ and glorify, enjoy God forever. Let's pray.